I do have an update that I'd like to share with you guys. We were praying for a missionary that was uh, placed in prison, and uh, he was released this week on Tuesday. So praise God. And uh, he is very active in planting churches in India, and uh, we're excited about all the things that God is doing. And so praise God. Praise God for that. You know, guys, uh, God answers prayer, and um, it's important that we do uplift those people around the, the world that are in countries where it is illegal to be uh, Christian and very difficult and persecuted. And so uh, as we look to God's word this morning, would you bow your heads with me today? And uh, why don't we do that? Why don't we pray for the persecuted church around the world uh, in this moment? Heavenly Father, we want to give you praise and honor and adoration today, God. And Lord, we just pray that, Father, around the world, we know that there are people suffering on your behalf. And God, we live in a nation where it is, um, where at times it's, it's very comfortable. Um, but God, we just lift up our brothers and sisters around the world that desperately need an encouragement and a touch from you today. God, we strengthen them and we ask that you would be with them and near them. In Jesus' name. God, we ask that you would use your word to uh, open our hearts to the things that you would want to reveal to us today, that, God, you would use your word um, that is sharper than any two-edged sword to divide and expose our hearts before you in this moment. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we did something kind of interesting uh, at the close of our service. We did a responsive reading. Some people were like, man, it was like good old days. We remember that. And uh, we, what we did was we challenged our congregation uh, to stand and respond to the Word of God. With, the, uh, with actually the third verse in the chapter 6 of Hebrews, and it said, And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. There are many people that were here last week that you did that. You stood up and you committed and you challenged yourselves. And I can just see that even this morning as the altars were filled, that there were people here that said, listen, we want to move forward to further understanding. We want to deepen our relationship with God. We're hungry for more of him. And so I'm excited uh, for this morning as we look to God's word. Why don't you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 6, and we're starting at verse 4. So Hebrews 6, verse 4. So remember the context. It was what we said at the close of our service last week. The context is, and so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Moving into verse 4. For it is impossible... To bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a scary verse here. Um, right now, we have to, let's remember the context. Who are we writing to? Does anyone remember? You can just blurt it out. Writing to Israel, Jewish Christians, right? Jewish Christians and what was the surrounding situation that they were struggling with? persecution, going back, right? Going back to the old ways, going back to the Old Testament, and they were going to actually, um, they were going to reject Christ as the Messiah, reject Jesus Christ completely, and go back to the old ways of, of the Old Testament. And um, in this verse is speaking to them. It's a very uh, scary passage. There's no doubt about it. Um, Bible scholars have tried to dance around this verse for many years. 
both on many sides of theology, whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminianist, everybody seems to have a trouble with this verse. It's, it's a verse that, that they struggle with. Um, the reason why is one word. Anyone want to take a guess at the word? Impossible. You got it. Impossible. That's the scary word in this. In this. And you know, it, it, it's hard to get around. I'm, I'm, this verse here is out of the realm of my comfortability. If I was just going to dance around and, and preach the things that I liked all the time and we could talk about those things, that would be great. I probably wouldn't hit this verse very often. You know, maybe once every 30 years or something like that. Uh, this is a verse, but you know what? As we walk through the Bible, we're confronted with verses like this that, that are hard, they're difficult for us to not only understand but to, con- to, to allow into our hearts. And, and what exactly is this saying? You see, it's hard for me because I, I have experienced things where I, I've loved God and at the same time I've turned away from Him. And it's only by God's grace and mercy that I stand on this stage here this morning. Uh, it's really just a testimony to how incredible God really is. Because there was a time in my life that I was not living for the Lord, that I was running from Him. But I grew up in the church and I grew up really loving God. And so it's, it's hard. This is a difficult verse to, to grasp and understand. But, but the one word that, that we can grasp out of this is there is a term that, that they use, that theologians use. It's the word apostasy or apostate. It's a person that once they have completely rejected God, they've, they've made a 180 degree turn away from him, and they continue to reject God for their entire life until they breathe their last breath. And that's what this verse is talking about, apostasy, a purposeful walking away, a turning. One Greek definition says, a, like a runaway slave. We don't talk about this verse much because we don't like the finality of, of the fact that it says, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. We don't like to talk about that because it brings finality. It's almost like there are people on the planet who have, who have turned their back on God and said, I'm never going to serve him. I'm never going to love him. And, and they completely turn and reject God. And from that moment until the day that they die, they continually reject him over and over and over again. And to us, that that breaks our heart because we sit there and go, that's a dead person walking to hell. It's uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about those things and it, it's difficult, but in this passage, it, it, it's, it's hard to kind of grasp a hold of. But part of what we must understand is that God has given every human being free will to choose to serve him or reject him. That every person on the place of this planet, I, I don't believe that God chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And he makes this list and he goes, okay, let's go over here and over here. Uh, I believe that whosoever in John 3.16 means whosoever. That means that every person on the face of the planet has an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus Christ. And our responsibility is to bring the good news of Jesus to them. So when we look at a verse like this, we go, man, this is, this is difficult. But it, basically, it's saying that, that every person, as we talked about, every person on the planet can come to know Jesus Christ and surrender their life to him. But on the flip side, every person has the ability to reject Christ as well, to turn away from him, even Christians. And the writer of Hebrews here is giving a desperate warning to these Christians saying, listen, if you are even contemplating turning away from Jesus Christ, this is, you're not just doing something that's very simple or, or that, that it, you shouldn't think about. This is a desperate type situation. You need to really think about what you're doing 
if you are contemplating purposely rejecting Jesus Christ. You see, this is not an accident, what this verse is talking about. It's not that one, one morning you go to bed and you go, thank you, Jesus, I love you so much, and the next morning you go, oh man, I feel like I've lost my salvation. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about a person that purposely shakes their fist at God all of their life and says, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And then on their deathbed, as they are stepping into the brinks of eternity, one last time they shake their fist and they say, I hate you. This isn't about an emotional, this is a cognitive, forceful decision. It's about purposefully rejecting God and Jesus Christ. So as we go on, it says here that in this verse and in the following verses, it lists some beautiful things and blessings from God that people would be walking away from. The first thing that we look at, it says that the enlightenment, this is talking about the spiritual eyes being opened and someone seeing the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And they've experienced the supernatural and they knew the truth and they say, they're saved and they love Jesus Christ and they've shared in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10.32, speaking of these Christians in this church, the writer writes, he says, think back to the early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? He said to these guys, listen, I I know that you've gone through difficulties, you've gone through struggles, all these things. He says, hang in there. Keep going after God. Don't turn away from him. He says, listen, you've experienced the risen Savior. There's no, no telling that, that he's not real anymore. Let's go on to verse 5. It says, who have tasted the good word of God and the power of the coming age. Not only have their spiritual eyes been enlightened, but the Bible says that their spiritual taste buds have tasted God. He's using these metaphors that we can understand that that these people have come into a deep relationship with God and that that they taste the, the, the presence of God. Psalm 34, some of you are familiar with this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take a bite out of God and taste and see and know uh, that, that he is good. And then it says that you've experienced and tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. This word power is the Greek word dunamis. It means miracles, or in our English language, it's kind of, we use the word dynamite. It's that, it's that same, has almost all the same letters. And we see it's, it's the powerful uh, miracles that were going on in that day and continue to today. These people had tasted the supernatural presence of God, and they were thinking about turning away. Verse 6, and who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again, holding him up to public shame. Then they're turning away from God, it says. The writer says, listen, you have seen, you have tasted, you know, you've been enlightened, all of these things, and yet you're contemplating rejecting God, turning away from him, rejecting all that you know, all that you've seen, all the wonder, all the majesty. And if you walk now, there'll be severe consequences. In fact, if you know what you know and then you walk away from God, it goes this far to say, It says that you are rejecting the Son of God, and it's as if you are nailing him to the cross all over again. It's like you're crucifying him and exposing him to public shame, your ongoing actions. 
It's like it happens over and over and over again when someone rejects Christ. When a person turns their back on God. When the person turns their back on God, it breaks God's heart. I mean, God is, God is just torn up. The famous theologian William Barclay wrote it this way. He said, as long as there is sin, there's always in God's heart this agony of suffering and redeeming love. Sin does not only break God's law, it breaks God's heart. It is true that when we fall away, we crucify Christ all over again. I think the most difficult word that we talked about in, the, in this passage is the word impossible. In the New Living Translation, it's found twice. It's actually only once in those uh, three verses. We want to say in our hearts, we want to say, you know what? If, if a person rejects God and continues to reject God, there needs to be a chance for them to come back. There needs to be, it needs to be okay. That's what we want to think. You know what, guys? That's, I, I read thick commentaries and all kinds of things on this verse. And there's so many theologians that try and dance around this verse. And I kept going, man, I could read you a bunch of things from a book or I could just really try and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in this morning. So I'm going to give you my section on the commentary here. When I looked at this, I thought to myself, okay, what is this Greek word here and where is it found where else in the Bible? I didn't have to go very far. It was actually found only a few verses later in Hebrews 6 verse 18. And it says this, it is impossible for God to lie. In that moment, I thought in my heart and I went, wow, what does impossible really mean? It means impossible. But all of that, when when we think about the context of what is being written here, and why it's so heartbreaking to God is that this person has experienced all of the blessings, all of the love, all of the mercy, all of the enlightenment, everything, and yet at the same time have completely and utterly spit in the face of God and walked away from him. So what this, this writer is saying to, to the Hebrews, he's saying, listen guys, I, I, you have tasted of all of these things and, and you, you love God. Don't fall into the trap of turning away from him. And you know what I think, guys? The same thing is applicable in our lives. There are a lot of things that can happen in our lives. Once we've tasted of the good things of God, there are things where it talks about earlier in Hebrews where we can drift away and we can find ourselves in kind of this neutral zone. And that's why the writer is saying, continue after God, grow in your spiritual faith, continue to hunger after him, learn more of the word of God, and continue to strive. And he keeps saying these things over and over and over again to, to this group of believers. And you know what, guys? In our own lives right now, I don't know where you're at and who you are today, but maybe you're in a situation right now that you have allowed things in your lives to so callous and harden your heart that you're thinking about rejecting God. With everything within me right now in this moment and in the verses that we have looked at, please, I beg of you, don't. Sometimes there are things that get ugly in the church. There are things that people go, man, I don't really... I think Christians are just garbage and all of this kind of stuff. And there are ugly things that happen in the church. I have, I have a saying that's pinned up on my wall. And it says, Sheldon, don't let anything that happens in the church keep you out of heaven. Because it's messy. And that's okay. Because we're going to find out later that we're supposed to love messy people. <laughs> and, and we're going to look at that just in a minute. 
But I just want you guys to understand that I think that as we look at this verse, we've got to understand that we can't stress enough how important it is to continue to move forward in your spiritual maturity because if you do not, you may come to a place in your heart where all of a sudden you would willfully reject God and turn away from him. I said, man, I just, I don't want us to come to that place. I don't want us to ever come to that place. In fact, verses 7 and 8 give a vivid illustration of this. It says, When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. The farmer soon condemn that field. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. This is an illustration that God uses saying, listen, our lives need to be receptive to the things of God. We need to allow the, the, the rain of the Holy Spirit to, to pour into our lives and allow growth and maturity, like we talked about last week, striving towards growing in the things of God. And it says, listen, if we reject the rain, if we allow the thistles and the thorns and everything to grow, the, this illustration just says, listen, the farmer at the end says, this is no good. You just have to burn it. And, and I really feel as though when we look at this, it's, it's those that are completely rejecting God. Even though you could have a bountiful crop, all of these kind of things, but you have rejected it and they have been condemned and burned. And ultimately, it's a picture of hell. I know that's really uncomfortable and we don't like to talk about those things. That's really what this is a picture of. But in verse 9, you can tell that this writer loves this church. Because he's not just going to beat them up and leave them there. He's going to say in verse 9 this. He says, dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we don't believe it applies to you. You see, he's saying, listen, dear friends, I know that we, we need to talk about this subject because it is so important. But at the same time, I don't believe it applies to you. I can see that you're hungry for the things of God. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. The writer loves this church, these people. He says, I don't believe you're going to head down this path. I'm, I'm confident that you're going to continue to strive to, to learn more about Jesus and continue to grow in this. I'm confident in your future and that it's great, the positive things that come with salvation, the enlightenment, the Holy Spirit, the tasting of the good things of God, the miracles, all of those things. And then it goes on to verse 10. It says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you do. So the warning is tough here. You have to understand that these are great Christians, but the the writer here, he says, he's equally hard on them, but then he says, these Christians love God and they love other believers. And so, guys, I don't, know, I don't know where you've been, but maybe you have, at times, you have made great sacrifices for a church body. Maybe you've made great sacrifices to advance the kingdom of God in some way. And uh, you feel as though no one noticed or no one thanked you. I remember that there was a gentleman, he came to our church he had never come to our church, and to, to this day, I don't think he's ever been here. He was passing through on a random Sunday, just by chance. That Sunday, he sat over here. It wasn't in this building. It was in our, 
uh, last chapel. He sat about three rows from the front. That Sunday, our children's pastor was leaving uh, our church here to go to another church. And that Sunday, we blessed her in such a powerful way. Every person in the room stood up, and we all lined up down the middle aisle, and all of us walked forward, and we all shook her hand and, and, and embraced her. And, and I told the congregation, you're only allowed to say two words. You can't talk with her or anything. I said, you look her right in the eye, and you say, thank you. And then you walk on. Or we'll be here all, till Christmas. I mean, we've we got to figure out how to end this. At lunch that day afterwards, this gentleman sat, he just happened to sit at my table and I began to talk to him. All of a sudden he began to cry throughout the conversation. He said, Pastor Sheldon, I did youth ministry for many, 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 many years at my church. He said, never once did anyone say thank you. He said, today I sat in the third row and I watched as person after person said those beautiful words. He said, it was as if I was standing in her place and everyone was saying thank you. And he just cried. You know what, guys? Here's the thing. This is what this verse says. It says, he, being God, will never or will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. It says, listen, Everyone else could forget, and the pastor might not write all the thank you cards he needs to. And people might not come up and pat you on the back and say thank you for doing those things, but there is one person that will never forget, and that is God. So all of the things that we do, we don't really do them for other people or for the thank yous, though they are touching, and, and, and we're glad when people do thank us and recognize us. Ultimately, God is never going to forget the sacrifices that each of us have made to advance the kingdom of God. Amen. That's worth a clap. Praise God. When was the last time you worked hard? I want you to think about that for a minute. I mean, think in your mind right now an instance where you have really worked hard. Lately, 30 years ago, I don't care. So you got it? Everybody got it? Shake your head if you got it. Okay, think of a time when you worked hard. I'm thinking right now of last time I was cutting wood with my chainsaw that weighs like 50 pounds. It's ridiculous. I need to get a new one. Um, but that's what I'm thinking of. Do you guys all got something where you're working really hard? Okay, so here's the question. When was the last time you worked hard? Now, when was the last time that you worked hard for the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about physical sweat or different things like that. But it says here, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him. When was the last time you put in great amounts of effort and passion to work for the Lord? Those are the things that Scripture here is saying that, that really count. It says that God will not forget how hard you have worked. And then it goes on to say something that's really interesting. It says how you have shown your love to him, how? By caring for other believers. So how do we show our love for God according to this verse? By showing love to other believers. 
for caring for other believers. This verse expresses a powerful truth. Part of the way that we show our love towards God is for caring for other believers. There are many people, like we said just a little bit earlier, that, that, that they hate um, Christians. Maybe they are Christians and they hate other Christians. Uh, they don't like the church in general. Uh, they're okay with Jesus, but they say, listen, I don't want to try and build relationships with those around me. Forget about them. You know what? But the Bible says here that you show your love for God by continuing to love your fellow believers. That's what it says. In fact, Jesus says in John thirteen thirty-five yeah, on the screen here, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is a factor that Jesus said. It is going to prove to the rest of the world your love for me. It's how you treat your fellow Christians. It's going to prove. Now, I'm not taking a low blow here, but I'm just wondering, in general, across denominational lines, how is our love for other believers in the Christian church perceived to the rest of the world? Can they tell that we are Jesus' disciples? Has the church in general been good at doing this? There was something powerful in the early church. It was about how people loved each other. Others took notice of that. Loving your brother and sister is messy at times. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's trying. It's overlooking offense. It's not keeping record of wrongs. You say, Pastor Sheldon, but you do not understand how this person treated me. And I say, you know what? You're right. But Jesus does. Jesus does. That we're to show our love for God by caring for one another. It says in verse 11, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Every Sunday we talk about three F's here at Watford City Assembly of God. Anyone want to take a stab at them? Faith. All right, faith, family, friends. Very good. We're gaining. So 50% get an A on the course. The rest need to do homework. But um, faith, family, friends. Do you know what all of those things have in common? Relationship. They have relationship. The faith aspect is the faith aspect is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The friends or the family aspect is our family, church family here, and the friends are maybe those that are just coming for the first time. But they're all relationships. Jesus said in Matthew twenty two, thirty six through forty, in the New Living Translation, he said this someone asked, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in all of the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39 says this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Hebrews 6.11 says, Our greatest desire is that you keep loving others as long as life lasts. 
That means that the Word of God is calling us to be proactive initiators in the relationships of believers around us. I was just recently at a conference, and I've told this story two times on back-to-back Wednesdays to my Wednesday night Bible study, so forgive me, you guys are hearing it for the third time. But uh, so obviously, uh, I, I went to a conference just recently. They had us sit down as pastors and begin to reorganize our lives. They wanted us to set goals yearly, monthly, weekly, and daily. As I began to pray, I began to say, God, what would you want me to do? And I was working through yearly, monthly, and then I got to daily. And, you know, those are pretty simple. You say, well, I need to read my Bible. I need to pray more, all of those kind of things. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me in a special way. He said, you know what, Sheldon, your relationships are too shallow. What? I'm a friendly person. Come on. I mean, I can say hi to about anybody. Uh, everybody likes me, all of that kind of stuff. And... I mean, this is great. What do you mean my my relationships are too shallow? He says, Sheldon, look at your heart. Your relationships are all superficial. He says, every day I want you to do something. I want you to deepen a relationship with at least one person that you come in contact with. So from that point forward, I made it a point to deepen at least one relationship every single day that God gives me on the face of this planet. That means I go past the superficial, shake your hand, know you on a first name basis, maybe talk about the blue sky or this or that, but to really focus in at least one person every single day that I am going to initiate a conversation with, that I am going to try and grow in my relationship and deepen it with them. Now, I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit spoke that to me. So, guys, as we look at this, I understand that it's really important, even as this scripture is talking to us, to be proactive and initiators in our relationships. A lot of people in this room would be really friendly if someone approached them, but they're not going to go out of their way to approach someone else. I believe that scripture is asking us to be proactive, to be initiators of relationships on an ongoing basis. In order to love others, it will take action on our part. It will cost us something. Continuing in these relationships is critical because it will make certain what our hope is to come true, the scripture says. This means continually speaking about spiritual maturity. Loving others no matter what shows that we are growing in spiritual maturity. It shows that. It's a great gauge. How many people, how many Christians are you really ticked off at right now? How many people are like sandpaper? How many people do you think about and go, oh? How many people, when they walk into the room, you go, where's the nearest exit? It's like, hey, I need to check my heart. If if I'm going to love people truly here, I I, I really got to check my heart, check my motives. That's about being spiritually mature. Listen, spiritually mature people overlook offenses. They do. I'm not saying I'm perfect at that. I'm just saying that they do. We need to tie up. We need to keep moving here. It says, verse 12, Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. We talked about this earlier. It talked about them being spiritually dull and things like that. Spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. This, the NIV says, 
don't become lazy. Your Christian faith is a proactive thing. You need to be continuing moving forward and strengthening in that. You need to endure. This is talking about endurance as a, as a Christian. And then the writer goes on to give an example of endurance, and that's Abraham's life. Verses 13 through 15. It says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no other greater to swear by, God took an oath on his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you. And I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. These last four verses are speaking about the finishing strong in your faith and endurance. That though these Christians have been persecuted and going through trials and tribulations, the, the writer was saying, listen, hold firm to your faith and your love for one another. Then patiently wait, believing for God to come through. Many of them not understanding whether that blessing would even come in their lifetime. In fact, in Hebrews 11.3, it says about Abraham, Abraham died believing. Abraham died believing. It meant that he had, didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. He didn't see his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. He didn't see it. But he died believing that it was going to come to pass. This speaks of being faithful all the way to the end. You see, guys, there's a stark contrast here between two people. There's a stark contrast of one saying, listen, if you turn away and absolutely reject God, you're going to be rejecting him to the end. And then it says about Abraham that he died believing that there are others that will hold on to the faith, that will love one another, and they're going to die believing to the end. It's a huge contrast between the two. But you know what the amazing thing is? is it's your choice. God has given you free will to choose to serve him with reckless abandon or to utterly reject him and go another direction. God has also called us to live with one another in love and compassion for one another. So we're calling, God is calling each of us to, to respond in some way. A call to continue serving Jesus Christ and not turning away. A call to continuing to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and initiating that relationship and being proactive in it and understanding that your investment in others and the kingdom outlives us. And when it outlives us, listen, like we said, God knows and he sees when we're working hard for him. It's not about pats on the back or ego strokes from other people. It's the fact that when we're working, we're working to honor and love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we do it as unto him. So here's what I need you to do this morning. We're going to close in prayer, but I'm going to ask you to do something um, dangerous today. I'm going to ask you to do one thing really uncomfortable. And some of you would be like, Pastor Sheldon, you should have asked anything but this. Could I ask you to do one thing for me today? Before you leave this building... Would you initiate a conversation with someone else and deepen your relationship with them? Would you be willing to open yourself up in that way? Allow our church to be a place not only of faith, but of family and of friends. And allow God to use you to speak into people's lives and encourage them and bless them and deepen a relationship somewhere in here. Can we do that? Let's close in prayer today. God, I thank you, Lord, that that, Lord, your word, though it's very, very hard sometimes, and it really hits us, um, God, that you do it because you love us and you are calling us to 
be more like you. So this morning, God, as your word has spoken to our hearts, God, we want to receive it. And Lord, even as we, many came to the altars or wherever they were at this morning, we raised our hands and we said, God, we're hungry for more of you. We, 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 we want more of you today, God. And so, Lord, this morning, we're asking that you would continue to fill. And God, as you have instructed us and challenged us, that God, we would grow in spiritual maturity. And so, God willing, we will move forward into further understanding, God, our relationship relationships will deepen, and God, we will come to know you in a greater capacity. So God, we ask that you would go with each person today, that your rich blessing would rest upon their lives, that they would be a testimony to your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, and your love to each person they come in contact with this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glad you guys came today. Lord bless you.